I'm excited to j- jump into God's word here this morning. This morning's text will come from is, is Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Luke 5, 12 through 16, in your Blue Pew Bibles, page 502, left column. I'm going to pray briefly, and we will dive in. Lord, we come to you in need of a word from you, Lord. We thank you for your word, which is eternal, it is powerful, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. May you pierce our hearts that we would know you and encounter you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 5, 12 through 16. This is speaking of Jesus. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to him and to be to gather to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This is God's word. We all remember where we were when the pandemic first started. Some of you were in other countries. Many of us were here. Some of you were separated from family. Others were with family. My family and I, we were in New York City. And I don't know about you, but as we were confused about what the pandemic meant, what the virus meant, what it, what it was even about, um, it was named at some point. How do you contract it? Uh, what, what does it take? How quickly? How closely? And so, it, it, at least for me, I will confess, you started to feel like other people were like a contagion, Right? It's like, I'm afraid if I go, oh, he probably has it. Let me, I mean, I, no, 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 maybe, maybe she has it, or maybe he has it. But then the thing is, they're thinking the same thing about me, right? And so there's this sort of distancing and fear and uneasiness that you felt. And it was at least something I felt I had to resist. Leprosy is not too far unlike that. And as we will see here in the text what Jesus does for this man, he demonstrates for us what I will encounter, encounter or entitle rather in this encounter with Jesus, outrageous mercy, outrageous mercy. Uh, as, we, as we are continuing our, our series on encounters with Jesus, we're looking at how Jesus has encounters with people and it demonstrates to us God's heart and how we should live before him and before others. So, outrageous mercy. There are three points that I would like for us to see here in the text. Number one, unprecedented compassion. Number two, untainted love. And thirdly, unimaginable cost. Unprecedented compassion, untainted love, unimaginable cost. 
As we've been seeing the pers- as we've been seeing how Jesus has encountered people, his personhood has come forward in in the sense of recognizing that he is both fully God and fully man, 100% God, 100% man, not half one, half the other, but fully both, and that you need him to be, you see. Your salvation depends. In fact, Scripture tells us our salvation is completely dependent on the fact that Jesus is both fully human and fully God. If he were, if he were only God but not man, you did not have a substitute for you in your sin on the cross. Therefore, you would still be in your sins. But if he were fully man and not God, there's no way he could himself be sinless. And so it's only in his fullness of both divinity and humanity and his perfect sinless life as a substitute for us that we have hope, that we have salvation. You need him to be both. And as we've been looking at that, in some texts, you know, his humanity becomes more present in others, his divinity. And we will see how that bears out here. But let's start with our first point, unprecedented compassion, unprecedented compassion. Leprosy, excuse me, as it's referred to in Scripture, is actually referencing a variety of skin diseases. Um, It could be open flesh wounds. It could be, you know, just types of rashes and all types of things. And the thing about human suffering, whenever you see a a person suffering physically, you know, or any means, it it conjures a reaction, right? I I remember Becca and I, we were watching a documentary on the Korean War, um, which is especially pertinent for us because her dad is from North Korea. But in some of the videos, it documented how in the cold, you know, the frigid temperatures, the American soldiers... They were losing limbs, and it would show them. And they, they even, in some cases, uh, one gentleman, he saw that there was a leg over there or a foot over there. He didn't realize it was his own. But then to see the image of that, it, it, it turns your stomach, right? To see human suffering, to see uh, a starving child, it does something to you. In one sense, maybe you're drawn in compassion. In another sense, you're, you take a step back. That's not right. There's something that's just disturbing. Does it ever make you uncomfortable if someone disheveled approaches you and asks you for money? How do you feel about that? If you see a person's deformity, it just, it just, it just does something to you. I, I remember I was on a subway, in, which, by the way, in, in New York City. But the culture there, you don't make eye contact. You don't do that, right? You keep your head down. Also, you want to make sure... You know where you're stepping. But um, you don't make eye contact. You don't talk to strangers, right? I would, go, I would be in the city, go home to North Carolina, and people are talking to me in the grocery store like, what do you want? Leave me alone. <laughs> oh, wait, that's the culture. People do that. They talk to strangers. You don't talk to strangers. So uh, there was a man who was homeless, and he gets on the train, and I'm standing up, and everyone, most everyone else is seated, and he does his spiel. This is a common place event. Uh, somebody's asking for something. And, and so he's, he does his whole thing, and I'm kind of tuning him, tuning him out. I'm going to work. And um, he, he does his whole piece. No one gives him anything. And then he comes up to me, gives me a hug. He says, I love you. <laughs> I 
Every single eye on the train was looking at me, he, and then he just left. I, can't ex I cannot explain to you the uncomfortable feeling that I felt. He broke all the social mores. He's a total stranger, and then and they're all looking at me. And so I think I got off the train early, like before my stop, because I, I just can't deal with any of this anymore. I don't want to see any of you ever again. It makes you uncomfortable. <clears throat> Leprosy had that kind of effect on people. It was, a, it, was a, it was a terrible disease. It was dreadful. It was disfiguring and could be fatal. The only approach, the only sort of remedy that the ancients had was quarantine. We all know about that. Lepers were forbidden to approach others by the legal code and the Mosaic law. They had to live outside the city, outside the camp. They could never enter in. It was part of, if you read the Levitical law in Leviticus chapter 13 and 14, it outlines that priests would declare a leper unclean and he or she would have to go live out alone. And the reason why that seems cruel, the reason why is because there is a visual representation that the tabernacle in the midst of the people, in the center of God's people, in the center of Israel, was the place where God dwelt. And nothing impure, nothing unclean could ever come near it. And it was a visual representation of a spiritual reality that God is holy. And you can't just approach him any kind of way. It defines his holiness. That there were ritual manners by which one could be made clean, but not for lepers. Lest, um, the only way they could be made clean is if they were healed of their leprosy and then pronounced clean. It, it was a terrible disease. So think about the psychological impact of being a leper. You never get touched. If you go places, you know, if you're on a bike, you're riding and there's a pedestrian, you say, hey, watch out, I'm behind you. If you're on the golf course, you hit the ball, you say, four. If you're a leper, you say, unclean, unclean. Everywhere you go, think about the psychological impact. Everywhere you go, every time you see someone approaching you or you're approaching someone, unclean, unclean. You're declaring yourself unclean. You're helping them to realize, hey, don't get near me. I don't want to pass my uncleanliness on to you. It's a, it's a perpetual isolation. It's a perpetual pandemic, psychologically, to be a leper. It's that severe. Think about the psychological impact of that. To know that we all know what it feels like to be on the outside, but for lepers, pretty much it was justified that they were on the outside, and they knew it, and others knew it. And so understanding leprosy, it sets up what is so bizarre and so beautiful about this passage. First, we see the boldness of the leper in verse 12. See, Jesus was in one of the cities. Where are lepers supposed to be? Outside the city. So this leper, he has to brave and cross all the social mores to come into the city to find Jesus. He's heard about him. Jesus' fame has been spreading. This leper decides, I'm going to risk it all. I'm going to go in the city and find him. Not only does he go in the city, 
It says that he, felt, he saw Jesus, he fell on his face, and he begged him. What does he say? The leper doesn't say, Lord, heal me, although that is, in, that is included in what he's saying. He says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. You can make me clean. Why clean? Because all lepers are unclean. Uncleanliness means you're outside. It has social, psychological, and spiritual implications to be unclean. You can't get a job. You have to depend on charity. You can't interact with people. You live a life alone. The only people that could ever touch you are other lepers. I mean, think about the, 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 the absence of physical touch. It, it, for me, it was, it's, it's, I, I have a small glimpse of that. When I first arrived here, when I, my family and I first arrived here two years ago, we were in the middle of the stay at home, and you know, we we're all on Zoom. And so I don't think I shook a person's hand or touched any of you, no hugs, for a good eight months. It felt weird. We were all like that with one another. Remember those first hugs? Remember those first, like, wait, are we, are we, what do we do? <laughs> Lepers went without that for years. This man, for years, he goes, he falls down on his face. Lord, will you make me clean? If Jesus makes him clean, he gets all of that back. He gets to go, he gets to be declared, go back to the priest and get declared clean. He gets, his, he gets a social life. He gets to be able to work. He gets to be able to interact. He gets to be able to have physical energy. Everything about his life would be changed if he is made clean. You and I are like this leper in a lot of ways, in many ways, except for one. You see, because there's parts of your life, there's parts of my life we're ashamed of. There's things about maybe your past. There's things about, there's, there's the darkness, the dark parts of your soul. Maybe it's your judgmentalism. Maybe it's how you view men or women. Maybe it's how you view authorities. On and on. But we all have parts of us that we would rather hide from others. We all have parts of us that we bear alone. We, have all, we all have ways in which we seem to be on the outside looking in. We all, we all have negative things. There's, there's a sickness of our soul. There's an uncleanliness of our heart that we would attest to. It could be our greed, our hatred, our rage, our lust, toxic thoughts that you have about a loved one, a spouse, a child, a parent. It's the part of you that you turn away from, that you want to hide from other people, that you want to hide from God. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought of bringing that part of you to Jesus? How often, how frequently, how willingly would you bring that to him? Do you talk to him about it? Do you, do you engage in prayer about it? Do you ask him to make you clean? Because here's the thing. Your answer to that question reveals what you really think about him. And Jesus' answer to this leper reveals what he really thinks about you. 
And as I said, we're like the leper except for one key fact. And the key fact is all of those things we have in common with the leper, the only difference is you can cover it up. You could fake it. You could pretend like it's not there. You can ignore it, and he can't. Physically, everyone sees he is a leper. And he comes to Jesus, and his question is, Lord, effectively, I know that you can do this, but will you make me clean? Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, I know that you can, but do you desire? How will you, how will you treat me? I know how everyone else has treated me. How, Lord Jesus, will you treat me, a leper? In Jesus' response, it is representative of unprecedented compassion. In all of Scripture, no one has touched a leper. The only time you see someone healing a leper is in 2 Kings when Elisha, whom Jesus refers to actually in, in, in Luke chapter 4 in his sermon, after he rather reads from Isaiah. Naaman, who was a, a, an official in the Syrian army, comes and he's a leper and he comes down to Israel and he goes before Elisha. And Elisha doesn't even come to the door himself. Elisha just sends word, okay, tell Naaman if he goes and he dips in the river, Jordan, seven times, he can be healed, and there's no physical interaction. But what does Jesus do? Verse 13, Jesus stretches out his hand and touched him. He didn't have to do that. He could have just said it, but his physical demonstration is showing us his heart of compassion for you. He would touch that, that place, that awful place, the the vile place of your heart, the, the, the rejected place of you, he reaches out in compassion, unprecedented compassion. No one has ever done this before. That's his response to you, bringing that place where you resonate with the leper to the Lord. That is his response. I will. I want to touch you. Be clean. unprecedented compassion. It's the nature of his outrageous mercy. And it begs the question, if we truly understand the holiness of God, if we truly understand that God set up a whole system, a nation where in his presence being in the center of the nation, physically represented by the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant, that he wouldn't allow unclean people ever to enter or come close, even to live outside the camp. How would a holy God, Jesus being God in the flesh, or rather, why would he show mercy to an unclean leper? How can he? How can he just do that? He's not like us. He's not flippant. How could he do it? We'll come to that in our last point. But the second point is we see a demonstration of untainted love. Untainted. Now, we are in the Midwest, and not all of us are from the Midwest, but um, let's talk seafood for a moment. <laughs> so we all, have a, we all have an appreciation. If you've ever had a, a tainted version of something and then a pure version of something, you're like, oh, I've never, I, <laughs> I thought I, have, I was having that, but I never had that before. I remember Becca was saying she used to think she hated steak because of the way her parents made it, and then she actually had one, you know, in a nice place. 
oh, that's what steak tastes like? I thought I didn't like that. How many of you grew up with seafood in a can? That is a place a sea seafood should never go. It's seafood, not canned food. And if you've ever had seafood in a can or salmon patties or something like that, maybe you upgraded to frozen fish in the grocery store. And you notice, oh, okay, that's a, this tastes different. This tastes better. But, okay, let me challenge you. How about sushi? A step further, sashimi. So some of you are lost. Okay, that's okay. What I mean is the, the raw, like pure, like the top grade fish, it's raw, not even cooked, which is kind of funny they charge you so much for something they didn't cook, but that's for another time. But it's delicious. That's the pure form. Seafood in a can, tainted. Sashimi, pure, right? Or maybe you're not into seafood, maybe it's chocolate. You would say, okay, Hershey's, tainted. Godiva, Lint, whatever direction you want to go this morning, Ghirardelli, I don't know. But something down the line, pure. Or maybe you're not into food. Maybe you're not a foodie. Let's talk home runs. <laughs> There's a certain guy on a certain team, Aaron Judge for the New York Yankees, who is chasing the American League home run record for a year, 61. He's at 60 right now. Owned, the record is owned by Roger Maris, set in 1961, of 61 home runs. And if you're a baseball purist, you would say, okay, that's the real record because those guys, those other guys from the National League who were all juicing, when they passed the record, you would say that doesn't count. You might say that. I'm just saying, I'm not saying what I'm saying, I'm just saying what you might be saying. <laughs> Tainted, pure. Jesus shows us a love that is untainted. What do I mean? Think about what he tells this man after he heals him. It says that immediately, it was a miracle. Immediately, the leprosy left him. Verse 14, he charged him what? To tell no one. Jesus didn't do this for some kind of kickback, for some kind of publicity stunt. He wasn't looking for accolade or, uh, or, or some type of praise. The only instruction that he gave the leper was, go show yourself to the priest and make an offering. You know, there were... Uh, Birds involved in the sprinkling to declare you unclean and then, a, you know, a couple of lambs and things to make an offering so that you could, after the seven or eight day period, be declared fully unclean and resume normal life. Jesus says, go do that. But don't tell people that I healed you. Jesus wasn't looking for publicity. And, and, and notice in verse um, 15, it says, but now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and he to be healed of their infirmities. In other words, it's implying what Mark says explicitly, Mark's gospel, the leper went out and he told a bunch of people and word got out. And so therefore, Jesus, his ministry, his popularity really swelled 
It, it, it just grew. But what do you see Jesus doing in verse 16? He would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Jesus wasn't about the publicity. He wasn't about the popularity. That wasn't what he was going for. Jesus didn't do, he, there was no mixed motives. You see, all of us have had in, experiences with untainted love. It could be at work. It could be, you know, in a family relationship or even, you know, in some romantic situation where the person that you know, they may be nice to you or give you gifts or do things, but there's something that they really want in return. Maybe they are addicted to feeling like they're the savior. Or maybe they just, they just are fed off of the affirmation or the gratitude that you would give them. Or maybe they're just plainly, there was something that they wanted in return from you. You had something that they wanted and they did this. They were trying to get that. We all, we all know what that's like. That's tainted love. Jesus demonstrates pure love. As C.S. Lewis writes about in his book, The Four Loves, he says that there are there's various loves, but there's a need love, a love, as I described before, the, the love that I give you something because I want something back. But then he says God's love is a gift love. It is, it, 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 it's, it, there's nothing that I desire in you that compels me to love. That's from God's perspective. In First John, it says that now this is love, not that we first love God, that but that He first loved us. God was not responding to us. We were sinners, as Leanne prayed when Jesus died for us. There's nothing we were negotiating. There was nothing that we were offering him. It was a pure love. And C.S. Lewis says about this pure love, he says, this primal love is gift love, the primal being from God to us. In God, there is no hunger that needs to be filled, only plenteousness that desires to give. Jesus gave this man he loved this man, not because he needed anything from him, but only because he wanted to gift to him redemption. How was he able to deliver that? How, how is Jesus, have you ever thought about that? How is he, it's not just that he, Jesus did this. How, why, what drives him? How was he able to accomplish that? How was he able, no strings attached, to offer this transformative miracle to this man. It leads us to our last point. It's because of the unimaginable cost that Jesus paid. Adele, uh, who is, you know, really a generational singer, once in a generation type voice, she wrote a song or sang a song at least a, a few years ago called Easy On Me. And maybe you've heard it. But she had an interview with Vogue, the magazine, and, and she says the reason why she wrote this song, and she had recently divorced her husband and they had a, a son together, she says the reason why I, I, I wrote, I sing this song is she says, I wanted to explain to him, speaking of her son, through this record, when he's in his 20s or 30s, who I am and why I voluntarily chose to dismantle his entire life in the pursuit of my own happiness. Easy on me. 
it's the, it's the posture of us when we do something wrong, when we sin against others, just go easy on me. Is that what Jesus is doing to the leper? Is he just going easy on the leper? You see, there's something that, at least in the lyrics, that Adele doesn't calculate. That in order for her son to not be bitter, to forgive her, he's going to have to pay the cost. There's an unimaginable cost involved to say, hey, you did all of this and you were pursuing, as you said, your own happiness, but I want to forgive. There's a cost to forgive. For Jesus to offer mercy to this leper, there is a cost. We see the cost that leads, that points us to the ultimate cost. But we see uh, a cost that Jesus pays here in the text first when he touches him. At least from a legal standpoint, Jesus himself becomes unclean. He's willing to risk his own status in a way to bring healing and mercy, outrageous mercy to this man. I will take your uncleanness, but you be clean. Now, of course, we could say, well, Jesus, he's the high priest. He is clean, and he is, even in touching this man. But at least according to the law, Jesus would be unclean. But even more than that, you see, the leper, he was used to life outside the city, having social limitations, being isolated and alone. And when Jesus heals him and makes him clean, now the leper goes, he's able to be in the city, be in community, be in love and fellowship. But what do you see happening to Jesus' life from this point? It says that now, because of the great report, because of how popular he's become, Jesus has to withdraw to desolate places. Jesus trades places with this man. He pays the cost. He pays a social cost. He has to go. Now he is outside the city. But this only really foreshadows the ultimate unimaginable cost that Jesus pays on the cross. You see, because for Jesus to forgive you, to offer you mercy, he's not going easy on you. He paid a cost for you. Because the Father did not go easy on him when he was on the cross. He bore the unimaginable cost of all of your sin and mine. And because he paid that cost, he can offer you this outrageous mercy. That's how a holy God would come and make a leper un- who was unclean clean. That's how we can, you can have hope that in the uncleanliness of your heart, that God's response to you, he's not just going easy on you, He paid the cost to make you clean. Hebrews 13, 12 says, So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Jesus was led to the cross outside the gate, outside the community, outside the city to to, to make you clean. What does this all mean? Well, it means 
if you're justice oriented, you know, if somebody does something to you, you or does something in, the, in society, you say, well, they have to pay for that. They have, they, you know. But Jesus' posture towards you, he, he said, I have to pay for him, for her. I'm going to pay. This is God's display of gift love, which is humbling and brings us security. It's humbling that you realize it actually took an unimaginable cost to, to bankroll it. It brings security and comfort because it is completely settled. There's no remnant of it unsettled. Your debt was completely absolved in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to show you outrageous mercy, the heart of the, heart of the Father. He calls you to bring him your leprosy experiences. He wants to show you unprecedented compassion. You can turn to him. You can turn to him any moment. He will give you unprecedented compassion. He wants to demonstrate his untainted love because he bankrolled it with his unimaginable cost that he paid. The only question is, will you receive it? Will you receive him? And as we think about our community, God wants to renew Champaign-Urbana through a mercy culture. That on your job, that in your classroom, in your dorm room, that as you recognize the outrageous mercy he's given you, you would extend mercy to others. Not, quote, going easy on people, but recognizing Jesus paid a price for them. And even at times when people have offended you or done things, your posture is not to, hey, I'm going to get them back. But you know what? I will pay the cost to restore the relationship. There's a lot we could say about that. And, and being merciful is not the same as being um, passive or letting people walk all over you. That's not what that's about. But it's actively demonstrating the love of Jesus in difficult situations. How will you view the leprosy of others, people on the fringe, those not well-adjusted, those on the outskirts, those who are socially outcast? Will you see them through the eyes of outrageous mercy? And actually, I have a practical, a practical way that you could be thinking about this. Because as, you, as, as we've gone through a pandemic as a community and as a, as a world, um, you know, there's some who become more fringe in the, as a result due to either physical or, um, you know, issues or sickness or what have you. And in our own church, there are people who are shut-ins. They have um, physical impairments that would disallow them for doing the sort of things that we all take for granted. And our shepherding team in our congregation, who are like deacons, care for those needs, but oftentimes there are needs that could take extra help. So as you're processing what God is speaking to you, and if you're in a position to say, hey, I could do practical things to help people in our congregation. I might not know them, but I could give a ride to somebody who needs a ride. I could visit an elderly person. I, might, I have time to go make friends with somebody who's a shut-in or et cetera. I have practical skills to help them manage their yard work or what have you from time to time. If that's you on your connection card, you could just acknowledge, hey, I'd like to help show mercy to those in our church, and you can turn that in.
But in any case, Jesus wants to demonstrate to you his outrageous mercy. Let me pray. Father, help us not to be obstinate, hearted, and say, I'm good, I don't need mercy. But Lord, help every one of us to acknowledge our deep need to be made clean and the cost that was involved to make that happen. May we receive from you your your unprecedented compassion, your untainted love paid for by the unimaginable cost. In Jesus' name, amen.